today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Many live a defeated Christian life. How do you think that makes God feel? Have you ever thought of it like that? Let me ask you as a parent, even a grandparent, how do you feel when your children, your grandchildren are living in defeat, constantly defeated, failing, falling, discouraged? Wouldn't that break your heart? How much more does it break the heart of God? You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. When you're going through trials, you're not the only one that's affected by them. How often have you felt like you're going through something alone? Today, Pastor J.D. reminds us that God's heart breaks when we feel defeated. He doesn't want you to be overwhelmed. He wants you to delight in the life that He gave you. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We are currently in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 4 today, Lord willing, the first 11 verses. So I'll invite you at this time to turn there. We're going to pick it up in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, For we also, verse 2, have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, verse 3, we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, verse 5, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, speaking of the Psalms, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then, verse 9, a Sabbath rest 
for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Let us, verse 11, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Let's pray. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Lord, we readily admit that the passage before us today is such that unless the Holy Spirit gives us understanding, we're not going to be able to see what it is that you want to show to us today. Nor are we going to hear, let alone understand, that which you desire to speak into our lives today. We desperately need for the Holy Spirit, as we just got done singing, to open up the eyes of our heart, open up the eyes of our understanding. Lord, open this passage up to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I want to talk with you today about why it is that Christians don't have to remain in the desert, as it were, resulting in a dry and barren Christian life. It's sad, really, but many a Christian has forfeited the promises of God by tying the hands of his blessings with the ropes of one's unbelief. Now I have to preface the teaching today this way, if you could just please hear me out. This particular teaching, this particular passage, is one that the enemy will do everything and stop at nothing to keep you from understanding. And it's already started. I mean, just as we were reading it, I think if we're honest with ourselves, what? Rest? Joshua? David? Huh? There's still a Sabbath rest? What does that mean? Today, while it's called today, seems like a firm grasp of the obvious, but yet we know that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's here for a reason. And Satan knows that reason. Spoiler alert, Satan knows Scripture better than you and I know Scripture. And this particular passage of Scripture is one that he does not want us to understand because it has the propensity to change our Christian lives forever. And we never have to look back. And he knows it. See, here's the thing. Before we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Satan is all about keeping us from Christ. So he'll do everything, stop at nothing, to keep us from coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But we get saved. He has to regroup. 
calls an emergency meeting. JD got saved. We need to re-strategize here. We can no longer keep him from Christ, but here's what we are going to try to do. We're going to instead try to distance him from Christ. How are we going to do that? Oh, we're going to crush him under the weight of works and the guilt that comes packaged when he fails under the banner of those works. Let's keep him trying and trying and trying. As he keeps trying and trying and trying, he will keep failing and failing and failing. And when, not if he does, you guys get down there and you finish the job. Because he wants to keep you away from Jesus. And the longer he can keep you away from Jesus, you're saved. But he doesn't want you going to the cross. Because see, that forgiveness that awaits you is there for you, available to you. And it should take you no longer to get there as long as it takes to get to the cross. And so Satan will come in and say, hey, whoa, after what you did, you know, I'd kind of lay low for right now if I were you. Pretty bad. Yeah, I know it was. You're not going to go to church, are you? No, I probably better not, huh? I mean, if the person next to me knew what I did, don't look at the person next to you right now, whatever you do. <laughs> See, he wants to keep us in the wilderness and the barrenness of guilt and condemnation so we don't enter into the promise of rest and forgiveness and salvation and rest from works. How's that for an introduction? Are we good? You guys okay? You want to leave? We can bow our heads, close our eyes. You can slip out if you want. If not, let's do this. Three ways. You might find more in the text, but I found three ways that we as Christians can get out of this barren desert and enter into the promises that are ours, if we would but believe. One last thing before we jump in. The enemy will try to distract you. He'll try to get your mind to wander on something else. He'll bring to your mind. He has access to your thoughts. He can't read your thoughts. Thank God for that but he can sure plant thoughts in your mind. So he's going to try to put some thought in your mind about something you've got to do maybe later today so that you'll miss something that the Lord has for you today. Don't let him do that. Here's another way he'll try. Probably already has. As I'm going through these, he's going to put that thought in your mind like, wow, this this is really complicated. It's not. In fact, the opposite is true. This is actually so simple. It could be argued that it's too simple, and that's the problem. This rest 
that is ours, these promises that are ours, that await us, await us if we would just believe. We could enter into this. The first one is in verses 1 and 2, and it's mixing with faith. Let me explain this. Here, the writer of Hebrews explains how the good news, the message, the gospel, the word, the promises of God that was proclaimed was of no value, speaking of the Israelites. Why? Because they didn't mix it with faith. Some of your translations render it mix with faith. It wasn't the failing of the Israelites that kept them from entering the promised land. It was the failing to mix God's promise with faith. God already knew they would fail. God already knows we're going to fail and fall and sin. Can you imagine if God were surprised if we sinned again after we told Him we wouldn't? We even promised Him we wouldn't. We even made a vow, I'll never do that again. Could you imagine? Okay, you better not. And then you do it. Could you imagine God in heaven going, that's it! You said you wouldn't do that again. (sighs) I have told you till I'm blue in the face. How many times have I told you? And we think God's angry with us. And that's what causes us to keep our distance from Him instead of drawing near to Him. So we know that, but here's the problem. We don't mix the Word of God, the promises of God, with faith. In other words, merely hearing the Word of God and the promises of God are inconsequential, absent this mixing it with faith. The best illustration I ever heard in this regard is what happens when you mix hydrogen with oxygen. So the hydrogen is merely hydrogen by itself, and so too is oxygen merely oxygen by itself. I know, again, very deeply profound, right? (laughs) However, when you mix hydrogen with oxygen, The hydrogen molecules react with oxygen when the existing molecular bonds break and new bonds are formed between oxygen and hydrogen atoms. This reaction then results in an explosive release of energy and produces what we know as wait for it, (laughs) water, H2O, hydrogen and oxygen. You don't have any water, no wonder you're so dry, and parched, and thirsty for the water of life, the water of God's Word, 
And make no mistake about it, He's at the ready to satiate that thirst in our lives, that hunger in our lives. And He's there waiting. And all we have to do is just mix the Word of God with faith in God, and that's what happens. The second one is in verses 3 through 8. And it's trust in obedience. Again, let me explain this one. If you were to ask me what I thought was one of the greatest hindrances to living a victorious Christian life, let me flip flip that around. Bear with me. Many live a defeated Christian life. How do you think that makes God feel? Have you ever thought of it like that? Let me ask you as a parent, even a grandparent, how do you feel when your children, your grandchildren are living in defeat, constantly defeated, failing, falling, discouraged? Wouldn't that break your heart? How much more does it break the heart of God? especially when He has all of this available for us, for the asking. Just ask me. Ask anything. Anything? Yeah, anything. If it's according to my will and it brings glory to God, I'm going to give it to you. I mean, come on, earthly parents, your kid comes up to you and asks you for bread. Are you going to give him a stone? They ask for fish. You need to give them a snake. And your, your loving, earthly, fallen parents and fathers, how much more? Your heavenly Father. He's going to give it to you if it brings glory to Him. I picture God, and this has been a process over many, many years in my Christian walk, because early on I... I saw my heavenly father through the lens of my earthly father, who I did not have a good relationship with. My earthly father was always angry with me. I gave him good reason to always be angry with me. But man, I tried to keep my distance from him. And it took me so long, and it is a process over time, as you get to know your heavenly father and how much he loves you. And then you start realizing, man, He really loves me. He loves me so much that there's nothing I can do to make Him love me less. It's just, it cannot happen. Yeah, but I blew it. Like, is He surprised? That's why He sent His only begotten Son to die for us, so that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. It's kind of interesting because right before that, he says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your hope. He wants to destroy your Christian life because he hates you. But I have come that you might have life more abundantly. And please, 
it's so sad that that has been taken out of context and put into the arena of the financial. God wants you to have a, an abundant life. And right now there's somebody out there that's going to have a gift. Of... Thank you for laughing, by the way. <laughs> How sad is that? Somebody's talking about. He's talking about a victorious life, an abundant life. Now that's living, as we call it, right? As we say it. Man, that's living. That's the life. Jesus came and died for to give us. And we don't enter into it. So the writer of Hebrews here is talking about this entering into this rest and don't be like them in their disobedience and when you connect the dots, you realize that what he's saying here is, don't try harder in the energy of your own strength to do better and not disobey, rather than simply trusting in obedience instead of trying to avoid disobedience. Let me kind of explain that just a little bit. Isn't that how we are? Picture the scene. You blow it. Okay, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And He forgives you. First John 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's a done deal. That's a given. You're forgiven. But now you kind of come in behind that and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm not going to do that again. And you make a vow. God, and you promise God. How's that working out for you? You know, it's like after a church service like this, and a sermon like this, you... You know, in your heart, say, okay, Lord. And you make it about as far as Cam Highway. <laughs> Am I right? Why is that? Because you're trying, not trusting. What do you mean? Oh, oh here, here we go. Satan wants you to live in trying. He doesn't want you to live in trusting. Because see, if I live in trusting, then I'm walking in righteousness and victory. How does that work? Because He already did it. I don't have to do anything. Well, wait a minute, Pastor, with all due respect, not so fast. You're going to give people the impression that every time they blow it, hey, what's the point? I can just ask for forgiveness. And I can go on just doing whatever I want, because I can always ask for forgiveness. Accent uh, <laughs> added. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> the opposite is true again. Because see, when you've tasted from the cup of grace, you don't want to sin against a God like that. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Hebrews is rather enlightening as it traces all the history and traditions of the Old Testament, but ties them into the significance of Jesus and the New Testament. Essentially, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament covenants and symbols. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. It would be fascinating to have been a Jew during Jesus' time and to then later realize that Jesus was and is everything he said he would be. To fully understand the newer things, it's important to go back and appreciate the older ways, how it was done prior to Jesus coming to earth. The book of Hebrews is a wealth of knowledge and a resource for this exact thing. If you're just getting into this study and want to listen to other teachings from Hebrews, we invite you to go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com. You can find more messages there. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word, looking for nuggets of wisdom and insights that God wants to teach you right in the book of Hebrews. As we look forward to next time, we trust that you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. Come back again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.